You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. We're all born uh, so small, as if that's a surprise. You know, we always say, oh, it's, she's so small. Um, well, what did you expect? Um, <laughs> but we're so, um, we're born so, so pure and small and, and helpless, yet, yet we're full and we're whole um, with so much hope and potential. And so we, when we see babies, something within us is stirred, right? Like, like we're born um, with a body and a spirit. We're, we're fully human, designed um, to be loved and designed able to love. God, God gives us this life as a gift to be used in the redemption of all things. And then through the body of God become uh, flesh in the baby Jesus, uh, broken and poured out for us on a cross that turned from torture into our salvation, into our victory, so that your body, your life, gets a new story. You're God's plan to fix what is broken. You are the sanctuary. You are the holy place. You are fully human, made in God's image to show the world what he is like, how he loves, his reckless grace, his mercy, and his love. So, when we see new life, when we see these babies, something within us is stirred. Something within us is reminded that life is special and good and powerful. And it's worth any effort, any pain, any failures that we might endure. Because we're connected. Because this, this life is connected and we're connected to these babies. We're connected more than we'd like to admit or live like we're connected. Because we're so, uh, we tend towards selfishness. Right? We tend towards our, to isolate ourselves and our own selfish desires. We tend to be independent and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and prove something on our own. But when you watch these babies, you felt something. And when you hear good news, when you hear things that are like the kingdom of heaven, when things go right, when, when what is broken gets fixed, when we see glimpses of the kingdom come through, we feel, we're reminded that life is powerful, that life is good, that God created this and he's taking us somewhere. And at the same time, when we, when we see bad news, right, when we hear bad news about death or disease or lost orphans, you, you feel something because we're connected. You feel something because you know that it's not supposed to be this way. There is a, some other way that things are supposed to be. And that desire within us, I think, comes from the beginning, right? Since the fall, we've been disconnected. That longing to be reconnected is a kingdom longing. We were created to be connected to God and connected to each other, but since the fall, we've been chasing after that connection. Right? When, when Adam and Eve were created, the two became one, right? One flesh. Two, uh, uh, they were fully known and fully loved, that naked and unashamed thing, right? Like we were fully known and unashamed and fully loved. And that's what we are seeking. We're seeking that connection. Um, the two become one is a picture of what God is like. God and what he is up to in this world, it is, it's who he is, right? The, the word one in Hebrew is the word ikad. Uh, the kids call it ichad. Um, but the, the, so, so ikad is, is this, has this idea with it of completeness or wholeness. It's not just singularness, but, but complete. And whole. It's the same word used to describe God in the Shema, the Jewish prayer that they pray multiple times a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The, the Lord is a cad. And then when Adam and Eve become one, 
and become a cad. And so, so something that was incomplete is whole. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. He is family within himself. He is a cad, all the pieces put together to make a whole. He is one. He is complete. He is perfect. And when there is incompleteness, when there is brokenness in this world, when things aren't right, God's plan is to put things back together, to fix what is broken, to take the pieces and make them whole again. God wants to put things back together. And that's the hope. That's the desire that's within us. That's the feeling that we get when we see something that isn't a cad. When something is broken, we have this feeling that it shouldn't be that way. We have this hope that God will put it back together because God is good and he is holy. And so when we look at a family, when in a marriage the two become one, and when there's a child, uh, this is adding to the akkad, the oneness, the completeness. A family is, is part of God's plan of putting things back together. Unless you look at the Bible <laughs> and you look at all of the examples of family who messed it up over and over again. Because you look at the Bible and you see all these families who are like bad infomercial actors. Have you seen these infomercials where they just can't seem to do everyday life? They just make everything look impossible, right? They can't use a blanket properly, or they can't uh, look at their cell phone right, or they can't, like, put their shoes away. Like, just life is impossible unless you buy this product that this infomercial is selling. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I put together a clip of infomercial fails so you can see what we're talking about. Are you tired of flat, boring hairstyles? Do you go through a can of hairspray trying to get that full volumized look? Every time your cell phone rings, you've got to find it and then pick it up just to see who's calling. And if you try to prop it up so you can see it, your cell phone's constantly falling. Are you tired of fussing with giant pasta pots, strainers, timers, stirring and testing just for a plate of pasta? You can crack them this way. You can crack them that way. And we've all done this. But no matter how you crack them, you always end up picking out eggshells. You want to keep warm when you're feeling chilled, but you don't want to raise your heating bill. Blankets are okay, but they can slip and slide. And when you need to reach for something, your hands are trapped inside. Bending over to put your shoes on is a back-breaking chore. One wrong step, you could end up on the floor. And trying to get them off can hurt even more. No more wrinkled clothes trying to get your shoes on. No more scuffing and damaging your shoes trying to get them off. Everyone knows that laptop computers don't work very well in your lab. They can get hot, uncomfortable, and even fall. We all use soap to keep us clean, but bar soaps end up sloppy and slimy. Pump dispensers are messy and clumsy. And with dish soap bottles, you really need an extra set of hands. Love to shop for shoes, but there's no place to store them. You try stacking them. Hanging them, protecting them in their boxes, but you're always running out of room to store more. And stop using cotton swabs that can damage your ears. Ow! Stop. There's a better way. Introducing wax vac. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh man, you, you, you don't know what to do. Stop buying more shoes. Like, like what are you going <laughs> to... You want to buy more shoes, but you don't have any place to store them. Okay. So... So I look at the Bible um, for examples of family, and, and this is what I see. <laughs> I see just fail after fail after fail. And, um, and I think we, you know, we look to the Bible for this biblical family. Well, I'm going to tell you don't, okay? <laughs> they, they don't try to imitate the families of the Bible because they failed so many times over and over. There's Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, 
got kicked out of the garden. They messed up right off the bat, and then their kids, one kills the other one, all right? Fail, all right? And then it got worse uh, until everything was evil all the time, and there was Noah. Noah was the best one, right? The best guy on earth. And what does he do when he gets off the boat? He gets drunk. He ends up naked. And his son, when he learns that his son witnessed his nakedness, he, curse, he puts a curse on his son and his grandson and his grandson and his grandson. And, um, and it goes on and on. Abraham and Sarah, right? Like they couldn't have a baby. And so there's this whole Hagar comes into the picture and all of that drama that we don't need to get into. There's, um, there's Lot and his daughters that we don't want to talk about here. There's... Um, <laughs> There's this whole thing about concubines that show up over and over in the Bible. Um, there's Jacob who married the wrong girl. Like, how does that happen? Like, I, meant to, I didn't mean to marry you, sorry. Uh, and then there's Dinah who dates this girl who's not of her town, and so her brothers go and kill the whole town. There's, um, there's Tamar and her father-in-law Judah and something that went on there that we don't need to talk about. There's, um, there's Eli who was a priest and he was very well, well, his kids were very well known for their bad behavior, right? Preacher's kids always getting in trouble. Uh, there's, um, there's David, the second king of Israel, who was a man after God's own heart, um, had multiple wives, had crazy kids. He commits adultery and then murders her husband. Um, and then, I mean, it just goes on and on. There's um, Hosea was a prophet, and his life was a parable of God's relationship with Israel. And so he marries a prostitute, right? And then he names his children, he names his kids, No Compassion and Not My People. Like, how would you like that to be your name? Uh, and then, and then Jesus' parents, like Jesus' parents, they were chosen to be like the parents of God, like pretty big job. And then they lost him, like, right? Like, like he was at the temple still. They're like, oh, I thought you had him. No, I, I thought he was with you. You know, the classic, like, and that's happened to me. Like we left our kids here and it was my fault, of course, um, but they were downstairs and I had a meeting up here and Robin had left and I forgot they were down there. We had to come back and find them. Um, and I'm pretty sure that none of us come from a perfect family or are doing family perfectly. And so, so for me, as a family minister, what do I do? Like, there's, there's no way to, to handle this. Like, and, and I think, I think then why family, right? Like, why did God create family? Why is this God's vehicle to do things? I mean, why depend on a vehicle with no brakes or airbags and just randomly swerves off the road and into a ditch? Like, like that's a, not a good thing to depend on. The, the biblical model of family is a good model of failure, um, is, is what I've come to realize. Because family, um, is, it's a practice in hospitality and mission. I mean, I mean, why depend on family? Because um, it's God's plan. It's because God, it's how he himself operates, right? He himself is family in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Without family, God is not a cad. God is not whole. God is not one. Family is this practice in hospitality because when you, when you have a spouse in a marriage or when there's a new baby or as a church family, we have to make room in our lives for the other. We have to make room in our lives and orient our lives in such a way that we pull back our selfish tendencies and we make room, right? And we welcome in others, even moving toward the other in an openness at sharing life together and a life lived for the benefit of the other right? It's what God does in creation. Jewish tradition holds that before creation, there was nothing but God. So God was the only thing that existed. So in order for something else to exist, God had to pull back some of himself to make room for creation. And so that's what God did. In order for us to exist, God made room in his life for us. He makes space for us. God creates us because he is love. 
That's why he creates family. He creates families. He creates us capable of love and giving love, capable of life and creating life. Because the benefit of family outweighs the danger. And God works in the same model when he makes room in his life and he chooses his people Israel, right? He works through them to bless the whole world. And he makes room in his life for them to become his people. And it's a marriage, right? And and they make room in their life for him. It's this covenant between God and between Israel to do life together. So it's the Ten Commandments are like the the marriage vows. Like this is what it's going to take for us to be in a life committed to each other and to do life together. And so when Israel fails, which they often do, like the infomercials, Israel fails over and over again. The language used there is for an, uh, is that of an unfaithful spouse, right? Israel was unfaithful. They cheated on God. They put other gods before God, or they, they relied on their own selfishness or became their own little gods. And then we get to Jesus, and we see that Jesus redefines family. In this one simple, short sentence, um, he shapes, he, he changes what family is for us. He changes what family would have been uh, in his culture. It's in Luke 8, 19 through 21. He's in his hometown, and his mother and brothers um, come. And it, it's so crowded that, that the mother, that his mom and, and brothers can't get to him. And so somebody says, hey, hey Jesus, your, your mom and your brothers are out there. They want to see you. And Jesus um, almost dismissively says, my mother and my brother are those who do and hear the word of God. So just like that, just boom. Like, yeah, they're out there, but my mother and brother are here too. They're here. They hear and do the word of God. And so to understand um, this scene, let's give it a little context. Let's go back and take a look at Jesus' life and Jesus' family, both his heavenly family and his earthly family. Beginning at his baptism. At baptism, at his baptism, we see the whole family present, right? We see Jesus um, going into the water. We see the Holy Spirit descending as a dove. And we hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my son, and I am well pleased in him. So we, we have this, this, um, this idea that Jesus was sent from a family to represent a family. And then he enters into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus successfully resists the temptation, and he leaves the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Right? He's ready. Right? He's, he's been tried. He's been tested. He's ready to begin this mission. And so, so he leaves, and he heads back towards his hometown, the text says. So he's heading back t- towards his hometown, presumably to get some family in on this with him. He, he understands that he needs a family to be on mission with. And so he heads back to his hometown, passing along the way um, where he was just baptized, John and his cousin. And John had some disciples. Some of those disciples decided to follow Jesus. So he picks up some followers along the way. He attends a wedding on his way back and, and does his first miracle. And he arrives back in his hometown um, in time to read in the synagogue. And this is a common practice where um, a section of Scripture is read uh, by someone in the, in the uh, synagogue, in the community there. And, um, and then they, they give commentary on it. They talk about it. And so this would have been a day like um, Jesus' mother and brothers would have been there. Um, Jesus' extended family would have been there. The neighbors that he grew up with, people that he's known his whole life would have been present, right? And so this is a big day, like make his mama proud, right? Like, this is my boy Jesus. He's going to read in the, in the synagogue and it's going to be so cute. Um, so, so, um, so everybody's there. And Jesus um, unrolls the scroll and reads a section from 
Isaiah. He reads a section um, about the Messiah, a Messiah that is sent by God, who would proclaim freedom to the captive and set the oppressed free and bring good news to the poor and sight to the blind. It's good news for everybody there. Everybody's like in agreement, like, yes, we're waiting for this day when this Messiah will come. And they've been waiting a long time. It's been 400 years of silence, right? 400 years since God had shown up. And so this reading, this text that Jesus reads, is vital to their, their hope and their strength as they remember who they are and what God has in store for them. And then everything uh, took a turn for the worse, right? Like Jesus, Jesus rolls up the scroll, puts it back down, and he says, that's about me, by the way. That Messiah that, that they're talking about, that's, that's about me. And, and that good news isn't just for you Israelites, it's for everybody, even the Romans who are oppressing us, all of the Gentiles and everybody. And things turn, turn ugly real quick. <laughs> all right, so, so they don't like that. They don't like, oh, wait, you're the Messiah? You're this kid that grew up here. We know who you are, you little twerp. You're like, you're not, you're not something special. Um, you can't say this. And, um, and maybe Jesus should have learned some public relation before he announced his ministry like this. Maybe he should have done things a little differently. I don't know, you know, a little more like the world does things. You know, get a following. You know, start with something a little less shocking. Um, I could give Jesus some, and you know, it's not the best first sermon because, because after this, everybody ties him up, bounds him, and takes him to, up to a cliff to throw him off and kill him. Like, not the best first sermon, Jesus. And I'm, and I'm hoping today doesn't end like that because my mom is here, and if, and, and if you guys wanted to throw me off a cliff, you probably could because in the text, it says that Jesus uh, it says that Jesus just escaped through the crowd. He just passed through the crowd without them touching him. And I'm assuming there were some ninja moves involved, like some sort of flipping. I don't know what kind of powers, some teleportation Jesus had. Like somehow he got out of the crowd and, and got through there. And if you guys wanted to throw me off a cliff, my mobility isn't as good as it used to be, and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be able to escape you. So I'm hoping today goes a little better than Jesus' first sermon. <laughs> so... So, um, so Jesus, um, so you see that whole scene. You see Jesus taken up to a cliff to be thrown off. Now, on the first read, we don't see some things because Jesus felt something in that moment. Sometimes what hurts most isn't our enemies' attacks, but it's those closest to us not standing with us, not being on our side. And what we don't see is we don't see Mary clinging to her son and screaming, please don't hurt my son. Don't, please don't hurt my boy. We don't see his brothers standing up for him, fighting for him, asking for a fair trial or saying, hey, what he's saying might be true. Like we, we, we don't see those closest to him. Like, like, where are they? So Jesus felt something. Jesus felt an abandonment. He felt a disconnect, right? Like what we don't see happening is his family sticking up for him. And that hurts, right? When, when those closest to you remain silent when you need them, when, when they don't stand up for you. So Jesus leaves his hometown, like he escapes somehow. I don't know how that all worked out. But he leaves his hometown, but he doesn't leave with this attitude of, okay, fine, I'll do it on my own. Like, I don't need you, family, to, to do this mission. I can do it on my own. And he doesn't give up on his mission. He doesn't give up on his mission in order to get his family back. He leaves the town with those few new friends that he had made along the way. And these new friends, they're from Capernaum. And that's where he heads. He's like, all right, guys, you're, you're my new family. Let's go meet your family. Let's go meet your friends. And so he goes looking for family because his family are the ones that hear and do the word of God. 
And so some time passes. He's got a crowd following him. He's doing miracles. He's doing these amazing things and teaching these, these new ideas. And, rel- and religious leaders start questioning him, right? And they accuse him of having a demon. And that's why he can do all of these things. And so in Mark chapter 3, um, just preceding this, this scene, is, um, is when Jesus heads back to his hometown, now with a family, right? Now with a family uh, who is on mission with him, who has joined him in doing the things that God wants him to do. And it says in uh, Mark 3, verse 20 and 21, it says, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. So the crowd was so thick that there wasn't even enough food to feed everybody. When his family has heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. So that's what we see here. They're here because Jesus is out of his mind right? Like in their mind, they're here to restrain Jesus because he's lost it. Like he's lost his mind. And so his mother and brother show up. Hey, Jesus, your mom and brothers are outside. And he says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. Just like that. One sentence totally redefines family, totally redefines family for us and everyone there present. He drops the mic, he gets on a boat. Like that's it. Like, like that's what happened. <laughs> All right, so the ones who are joined with God on mission, the ones who hear and do the word of God, that's our family. Now this new definition, a family can include what we normally think of as family, right? Our, our spouse, our kids, like it can include that, but it can also exclude them, right? This new defini- definition of family um, can include your closest friends and family, or it can exclude your closest friends and family, and it can include the furthest thing that we could imagine from being family, right? It can include those that are way different than us, those that are from different places, that have different cultures, that are just different than us. If they hear and do the word of God, that's our family. That's Jesus' family, all right? So they're, if they're from America or if they're not, right? If, if they're from the north or the south, if they're on the right or the left, or if they don't even know what right and left is, if they are Democrat or Republican, if they are Gator fans or Alabama fans, maybe even Ohio State fans and Auburn fans, God's grace is more than we can imagine sometimes, right? <laughs> so, so, so it can, it, these, the, our family can look very different than us. And if they hear and they do the word of God, that makes them family. Maybe they like Christian radio. Maybe they like both kinds of music, country and Western. Um, but okay, so, so later on, later on in the story, we see that Jesus' mother and brothers actual mom and brothers, um, become family again, right? They, they join in what God is doing. They hear God's word and they do God's word. And we, and we find Mary present and we find Jesus' brothers present with him and being family with him. So what does this mean? What does this new definition of family mean for me, for you guys, um, as, as a church, as, as wherever you are in life, married with kids, married without kids, retired, elderly, teenagers, college students, um, we're all in this place of, of re- redefining family. For me, it simplifies family because there was a time in my life when ministry or mission um, was one thing and then family was another thing. And I tried to, my hardest to do both really well. So I'm, doing, I'm giving all my energy to this and I'm giving all my energy to this. And it was exhausting, all right? That's just exhausting. And what you'll find is having two different things, right? That's not a CAD, that's not one. And Jesus' definition of family does not allow for those two things to be separate. And then when I got exhausted, 
I landed on an either-or type of approach, right? There were seasons where I would work really hard at ministry. There were seasons where I would work really hard at family, and that doesn't work either. Jesus' new definition of family does not allow for that, right? Jesus' definition of family makes it so that these two are the same or one and the same. Family is defined by being on mission, all right? So whether you're married with kids, married without kids, single, uh, anywhere in between, college student, elderly, um, when you hear and you do the Word of God, that's Jesus' family. That's our family. And if you're married with kids, then everything you do for, as, with a family is mission, right? It's when you change that to the intentional idea of invitation and challenge, when, when you're inviting others in to be a part of that family, to be a part of somebody who hears and does the Word of God. And so your family becomes a tool. It can be a tool to show others what it's like to be joined with God on mission. And if it's hard to do mission with with a bunch of kids, then invite others in who can help you with your kids, right? Like it makes sense. And you're on mission together as a family and those who you invite into your family. We're all in this together, joined with God, hearing and doing his word, right? This is making disciples, Right? Jesus said, go and make disciples when you invite others into your life and you follow God and you show them what it is like to follow God and tell them to imitate you while you imitate Christ. That's making disciples. That's what Jesus calls family here. And so Jesus says, go and make disciples. And then he also calls his disciples friends and he calls them family. And he lived this way. Right? And he, he showed us a way to live. He was the incarnation of God, right? He put flesh on God's word, and then he tells us to go do the same, right? So Jesus and his largely Jewish audience had this model of rabbi and disciples. It's a very recognizable pattern in that culture, right? They would recognize a rabbi, they would recognize his followers who wanted to become like him. And so a rabbi in that culture was a teacher who invited students to do life with him into their own life so that they might become like their teacher, right? Jesus offers them information and teaching, but he also offers them a life to imitate and to become like, a way of life. And then he sends them out. He sends them out so that they could innovate and practice on their own the life that Jesus had showed them. And so this rabbi-disciple model was ideal. It was a partnership. It was a family. It was a student-learning relationship. And people recognized it. It was common in that culture. People could see, oh, look, there's a rabbi and his followers. And that was an easy picture to be seen. And then, as, as this expands, after Jesus' ascension and the, at the day of Pentecost, the beginning of the church, and, and as, this, as this kingdom spreads, as the church spreads from Judea and Samaria and to all of the earth, we, we go into uncharted territories of different cultures with different traditions and languages and stories. And so what we find is this term disciple isn't used after the book of Acts because it wasn't a, a common idea. People, people were less and less familiar with this Jewish culture and this idea of a disciple and his follow, of a rabbi and his followers. So Paul needed new language. And so what we see in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, is that he finds this other picture. He finds another picture that is like the disciple-rabbi model. See, in families in that culture, they would have a, uh, a pedagogos, that's the Greek word, um, and, it's, and it's translated in the Bible, tutor or, uh, or um, instructor or guardian, all right? So, so it's this idea of somebody who lives in the house and trains the kids in reading and writing and math and logic, 
But when the child is old enough, right, when the child reached the age where they can join the mother or join the father, the, the girls would join mom, the boys would join dad when they reached a certain age, and then they would learn a life-to-life model from the parent, all right? So, so they go from learning information from, from the guardian or the instructor to learning a life-to-life model and becoming like their father, becoming like their mother. And so Paul, seeing this model, lands on that and uses this type of language when he writes uh, to the church in Corinth, right? So, so, so they, there, was this, there was this family, and kids would, mod, would imitate their parents. So it's, it's very similar to the rabbi-disciple model and the child-parent model. So Paul adopted this language to show how Jesus would navigate relationships and how he led by example, allowing his disciples to do the work and learn through imitation and innovation. Our language might be apprentice or mentor. An example of this is in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 14 through 17, and Paul writes to his church. He says, I'm not writing to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, for you can have 10,000 instructors in Christ. That instructors there is the pedagogos. You have 10,000 instructors, but you can't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is, why, this is why I've sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful son in the Lord. He will remind you about my, my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. And so it's this imitation idea. So when Paul says you have a lot of guardians or a lot of instructors... He's saying you have plenty of people that can tell you the right information, but what you need is somebody to imitate, somebody to become like, a rabbi, a parent, a family to join. And that's what this is, right? Today when we gather and when we dedicate babies, this is the joining of a family. This is a cad, right? This is is broken pieces coming together and becoming whole again. So we live in this broken world where everything's in pieces and shattered, and there is pain, and there, there is hate, and there is violence. And we hear stories of death and orphans mistreated. There's homelessness, there's poverty, there's cancer, there's spinal cord injuries. Right? We live in this place that is just broken, and we're just longing to be reconnected. We're longing for a cab. We're longing for a kingdom that is making the world right again. So church... When we see a family come up and dedicate their child, right? Like, like dedicate to, to hearing and doing the word of God together. That's fun. Um, you guys like that? Uh, when we see that, we, we, we feel something, right? When we see these babies, we're stirred. We're reminded that this kingdom is about fixing what is broken, right? God is fixing what is broken. He's making us, and he's making this world whole again. In this gathering, right, we're committing back to the, these families. We're saying, yes, we're in this with you. We are in this together. We are a family. And that's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. as That's a little taste of heaven on earth, right? And, the, and then the table where we're all invited to sit next to one another from different stories and different traditions and different cultures, we're invited to this table where we can all become one again. That's what this is about. That's what Jesus came to do, to put it all back together. And we come and we sit with family who doesn't look like us, doesn't share the same story as us, doesn't have the same background as us, and 
we are all aware of the reign of sin and death in each other's lives and in this world, and we try to put it all back together, right? We are family in this together. And this isn't just about survival. When we have a claim to resurrection, right? Jesus rose from the dead, and that's just not like life survival. That's life to the full. We have access to this power, this God who is one, a cad, perfect, full of everything that is good, perfect love, perfect grace, perfect peace. We have access to that, perfect joy, perfect kindness, perfect gentleness. We have access to that. So it's not just survival. It's, we get to tap into resurrection, right? There is power, and life overflows from us just like life overflowed from Jesus. And we get to share that resurrection power with the world, this broken world that longs for a cat. We get to share that connection with them, this thing that everyone is longing. We all search for it in all sorts of ways, right? We, we want to, that connection that we lost at the fall, that we had in the garden, and we search for that connection through addiction, right? Through, through drugs, through alcohol, through sex outside of marriage, through cell phone screens, through whatever it is, through, through unhealthy relationships, through unhealthy ways, we search for that connection and we already have that connection because God knows us fully and loves us best. So welcome to the family, right? Welcome to hearing and doing the word of God. Welcome to being the resurrection.